0: As content marketers, we preach this to our clients that they need to have a differentiated message and a clear audience, and they need to be different. But then when it comes to our own businesses, especially at the freelance stage, it's like, what do you do? And it's like, I write any type of content for anyone. (laughs) Please give me money.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Content Marketing Podcast brought to you by Hedge, the finance content agency. Now, I actually recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago with Joe Zappa from Sharp Pen Media. Joe runs uh, that content agency. He's really active on LinkedIn. He's got a lot of really interesting stuff to say on there. So I was keen to, really keen to have a chat to him about his take on content. We had a lot of technical problems. When I say we, I had a lot of technical problems with getting recording to work and all that sort of stuff. So for some reason, the start of our, our conversation didn't record correctly. Only the first couple of. Minutes. So Joe's lost the chance to introduce himself. So that's why you're hearing from me first. So it was really interesting conversation. A lot of cool stuff on there. Really good to hear Joe's take on content marketing and scaling up a business as he's doing at the moment. So I hope you really enjoy this one. And if you have any questions about the show, if there's anything you'd like to ask or anyone you'd like to hear on the show, if you'd like to come on the show, then please do get in touch with me. Best way to do that is in my email address, jason at hedgecontent.com. In the meantime, I hope you really enjoy this interview. From like a fundamental principle standpoint, what does that actually look like? So rather than tactical content moving into more strategic, like you say, it's kind of they easy to fall into like buzzwordy type stuff when we when we're in marketing, right? So talk to me a little bit about what that means from a real fundamental standpoint, the difference between the two and what kind of shifts you're doing in the business operations for that.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So almost every agency claims to help with strategy. But what I would say is that Uh, If you're really going to help with strategy, it comes down to process and people. So do you have a defined uh, process, a way you approach the work that includes uh, a strategic assessment and then strategic recommendations? And then two, do you have people at the agency doing the work who are actually capable of seeing marketing at an executive level? and making recommendations on impact and not just like what type of content to create and where to put it so the way that we're operationalizing this currently is with our newer clients we're doing an audit where we're bringing on a c-level marketing strategist so for example the person i'm working with now uh was a just departed a role as cmo of a company that sold for over a billion dollars so she managed a pretty large marketing organization. And she's going to take a month to look at clients' uh, marketing organizations and answer three questions. Uh, one, what kind of business impact is content generating and what kind of impact could it generate? Uh, so looking at the content funnel and seeing whom are we bringing in uh, are they progressing through to a sales opportunity? And if not, how do we re-engineer things so that they are? Two, narrative differentiation. Are you just creating content that mirrors sort of the general consensus of what everyone else in the space is saying? Or are you saying something that's actually singular that uh, overlaps with your business advantages and gives your customers a reason to see you as their number one option? And three, do you have the measurement frameworks and tools in place to measure that business impact and make the case for content as something that is influencing sales opportunities and therefore something that, you know, the CEO and the board are going to want to keep investing in. And so my view is that if you can answer those three questions, and if you have the talent required to answer them, you can go beyond tactics and you can say to the client, like, hey, you're generating. $2 $2 million a year in sales opportunities influenced by content. We think if you make these tweaks, you can get it up to $4 million, right? And that's really how you make the case to the executives of a sophisticated organization that um, it's worth making major investments in marketing.
1: So the word that comes to mind as you're going through all those three different components of that, the word that comes to mind to me is quality. And what I think is really interesting is that that's that word I think is so misunderstood and misusing content marketing, right? Because when we talk about like quality content, so often people think that's about like having a longer word count or having original images or having a, using an SLR camera instead or a mirrorless camera instead of an iPhone. But really it's about what you're talking about there, which is about unique insights. It's about understanding how much actual value is being driven, driven for that content and i think that's that's such an important point right because especially if you're doing uh, i can see the difference what you're talking about there with, with tactical co- tactical content you know it can easily be about let's get x amount of website you know x amount of uh, visitors to our website on a monthly basis we want to see that graph going up and to the right and that feels like success but then if you're not actually driving any sales or revenue off that then it's it's, it's not important at all, so I guess what I'm getting from what you're saying is that it's it's kind of getting away from those surface level metrics, and if that means your 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 you know sexy big analytics go down a bit, actually it can mean that you're far more targeted on the revenue drivers for that content, which at the end of the day is the whole point of of content marketing
0: yeah, it's about the unique insights, the value to the customer, and then the impact right so I think When I say that almost all agencies are tactical, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with this because you need tactics to create the business impact, right? But usually as agencies, we come on and it's like at most to the extent that there's strategy, it's like, let's come up with some content ideas and then we come up with them and then we we write them. And ideally they're a very high quality and there's a lot of value in that. But there's like a whole other tier of offering where it's like, there's yeah, there's tactics, but then there's having the um, the gravitas and the experience to say, you know, this is how your marketing organization is performing and we think we can improve its overall performance. But, you know, what I think with the breakthrough for me there, Jason, was that like that comes down to people because I as an individual, like I can't do that. Uh, I needed for for my agency to be able to offer that. I needed to go articulate that vision and then hire people who are better at marketing than I am. <laughs> you know, and so I think that's like a big thing in the marketing world is that uh, the and gen- obviously in business in general that the impact of what you're doing and the, the level of what you're doing is going to depend on the people in the room. So I think as agency owners we need to articulate a big vision to attract. That truly world-class talent that can have that strategic impact, and then you know, sort of let them loose and see see what they can do for our clients.
1: So, in a way, then really, you're you're sort of approaching it in the same way for your clients as you are for yourself, right? Like you're putting out a as you said, like a big vision, um, which does differentiate you from from a lot of agency owners. So, I mean, that's that's sort of one, that's one of the questions I want to ask you really. So when it comes to, and you mentioned, I think in, in point two, where you are saying before is about not having content just as a, a, you know, regurgitation of the average of everything that's out there already. What are some of the ways that you specifically go about that? Like how do you make sure that what you're putting out there is, you know, really is unique and does have value to add to the target audience that isn't somewhere, something that they can find easily from, from the competition?
0: Yeah, great question. So uh, we have a three stage process through which we approach content marketing. And it's uh, we do the audit and then the three stage process is narrative building, editorial planning, uh, and content creation. So the first bit is the narrative building. And that's what you're asking about is how do you achieve that narrative differentiation? Uh, so that is going to be part of the audit where the C level marketing strategist is going to interview uh, internal leaders, external experts in the industry, and uh, several of the client's customers to try to determine uh, how do people see this company in its industry? Like, what what is this the place that it's currently occupying? What is it saying about itself? And how can we uh, engineer content and build narratives that will allow the company to uh, go wherever it wants to go, right? So if it's if it's currently like a commodity, I don't know, like to use an ad tech example, like if you're a commodity demand side platform, like a commodity tech company that's just helping people buy media, um, how do we, uh, what are our unique strengths as a demand side platform? What can we do that actually no one else does? And then how do we build narratives around that to tap into what people care about, whether it's you know the end of third party cookies or other privacy changes or whatever else, how do we tap into those uh, topics that are top of mind for people to accentuate our differentiators? And content should go back to that because if you're not writing content that thoughtfully reinforces narratives that put you in your own category and accentuate your strengths, you're getting your content out there and you might be getting eyeballs on it and you might get some customers through those means but you do risk ultimately ending up just being a commodity so that even when even if you're bringing in customers they're like okay you're a demand side platform you help me buy media efficiently that's great but they can't really tell why you're different and better than all of the other demand side platforms out there
1: yeah i mean then you then you end up with even if you end up with a you know, a relatively healthy business, you're, you're almost certain to have more churn, aren't you? Because you, you become you more likely to have people that shop you on cost or, you know, uh, are more attractive by the use of something like AI. And I guess that's the same approach, really, whether you're a freelancer or an agency, right? Like the, the idea is to sort of get away from that like easy comparison that makes clients almost compare you're on the wrong metric uh, at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I guess that's what's interesting about it, right? Is that the differentiation piece applies to any business. So it applies to our clients and what we want to help them achieve as content marketers. Uh, but it also applies to agencies and freelancers, right? Like that's that's a big part of why I've been trying to develop a, uh, a clearly delineated three-stage process, you know, a thesis on content marketing and what's wrong with it and what we do differently. Um, our clients need to do that, but we also need to do that because if you don't have that, you risk becoming just another content tactician, right? Like you're just another of many, many options out there uh, who can create some content for the client. And that's also where the whole like generative AI hysteria comes in, right? Because it's like the the misconception is, uh, okay, well, all you do is just write some blogs and there's nothing else special about you. So why can't I have generative AI write the blogs?
1: <laughs> so how do you approach that from from like a, a lead generator client's perspective in in terms of getting new clients? So you know, I'd imagine part of what makes that difficult is that a lot of the industry has been based on this kind of tactical or commoditized process. So you're kind of needing to sell them on like a new way of doing things. How do you how does that process work? Is it is that is challenging. Are you just finding people who are kind of already looking for that, and they haven't been able to find it elsewhere? Like, how does that how does that play out for you?
0: Yeah, I think uh, part of it is positioning, right? So it's being very clear on the site and wherever we appear that we want to have that strategic impact, and that we have the talent required to deliver it. Uh, it's also spelling out what I've said on the podcast, right? That spelling out our thesis on the space, right? And saying most content marketing and PR agencies don't do this, right? They claim to say, they claim to do narrative building, but it's not really baked into their process. You're kind of just creating content reactively. Um, And we think we can do something different. Uh, I think then again, you know, we are content marketers. So how are we going to do it? We're going to get it out via content Um, so like I wrote a white paper detailing all of this at length that's being designed right now, and we'll probably support that with paid ads and our salespeople will send it out and we'll send it to people on LinkedIn. So I think you do, you're right though, that you need to do some market education on, uh, your approach. Um, because otherwise it's hard to attract the right prospects who actually want this, uh, level of service. But just the only other thought I'd share on that is that it's very interesting, actually. Uh, once you understand this, uh, this game of developing uh, intellectual property as a business and having a very specific and delineated process toward the work, um, you'll start to notice that most sophisticated agencies, uh, they do that. You know, like you'll go to their site, and they'll be like, "This is our six-step process for like, you know, creating world-class content or like whatever, um, or building brands." And I think just like getting clear on that, like what is your approach to the work, uh, and then putting it in your positioning and all of your marketing materials. Over time, it should start to create a sort of organic uh, funnel where the clients who are hearing about you and coming to you. They already know by the time they're on a sales call, like, oh, this is kind of their shtick, right? Like, this is what these guys do. Um, and they're here for that, right? Because they wouldn't have come to the sales call if they weren't attracted by the approach.
1: Yeah. So for me, that that makes a lot of sense because I guess it is about regardless of what product or service you're selling, like it, you, it's basically all about finding that message, isn't it? And about getting an image of your business out there so that people can look at you and fairly quickly kind of decide or see what it is you do, what you stand for, what they can get if they work with you. And then that kind of makes the whole process easier, right? From people finding you the right type of people finding you to who reaches out to you to, you know, the sales calls and how many of them go ahead. Um, and I guess like that is, that is the crux of content marketing. But I think for, for people. In marketing, especially agency owners and freelancers, it can be very tempting to kind of continue to widen that scope, widen that scope because you need to pay the bills today and you know you, you want more clients. But I guess it's, it's, it is the typical content marketing approach that it's about that long game and the more specific you can get about that long game, the better your results are going to be over the long term.
0: Yeah, it's the cobbler's uh cobbler's shoes thing, right? Or cobbler's kids have no shoes. It's like you as content marketers we preach this to our clients that they need to have a differentiated message and a clear audience and they need to be different. But then when it comes to our own businesses, especially at the freelance stage where it's like what do you do? And it's like I write any type of content for anyone. <laughs> please, please give me money. <laughs> and I think Yeah, at some point, most people who graduate from, you know, freelancer or to to agency owner, or even if they don't want an agency, like from, you know, scrapping freelancer to like very comfortable freelancer, that evolution happens when you make that mindset leap. uh, And you're no longer saying, I'm going to try to do everything for everyone. But you're saying, I'm going to be really good at a specific thing for a specific kind of uh, client. And I'm going to base my positioning on that. Um, I'm going to uh, hone my capabilities in that area and get social proof from clients who are similar to the clients I want. And that's when you start getting some velocity in terms of client acquisition.
1: So you mentioned uh, PR a few times there. I know that's something else that that crops up quite a lot in your your website and in the white paper and all those sorts of things. So talk to me a bit about how PR fits into your content strategy, because from, or I should say for the content strategy for your clients, because, you know, from my perspective, that kind of fits really neatly into one of the big problems that I think lots of of industries, agencies, clients have in that they spend all the time looking at creating the content, but don't really think too much about what the distribution channel for that is. And PR is one you don't hear a lot of obviously can be really effective. So I'm keen to hear a little bit more about how you fit that into your client's work.
0: Yeah, so we have always done parts of PR. Uh so one of the the two most common deliverables for our clients are, are blog posts and then thought leadership guidelines where we're ghostwriting for usually a C suite uh exec And since the beginning, we've always pitched those bylines for clients. We don't have to. So if they have a PR resource in-house or externally, we're very happy to collaborate with that uh, person or agency uh, and we'll write the content and they can pitch it. But if they don't have that um, or if they just want us to do it for simplicity's sake, we've done it. Now, with the way we're shifting, where we're trying to have that more strategic impact and supply our con- uh, clients with narrative differentiation, we're realizing more and more that this like inertia is developing. Where it's like we are doing more and more of PR, and and we I come from PR agencies. I like I freelanced with a lot of them before I had my own agency as a content marketer, and I would usually do the content part of the PR agency um, uh, model. And so we're increasingly just um, uh, just taking on the whole thing and saying, if we're building, because uh, if we're doing the foundation of both content marketing and PR, if we're building those narratives um, which are going to drive PR efforts and content marketing efforts, um, let's recruit the people who can do the tactical parts of PR as well. So we're already pitching thought leadership bylines. We're already creating the narratives that are going to inform both content marketing and PR. Let's just recruit, you know, media relations specialists who can sort of uh, complete the circle and um, also take those narratives to market by introducing our clients to journalists by pitching stories and all of that. I do think that one of the challenges with uh, PR. That is in, that is also true of content marketing, but not as true, is that you really need to have people who are specialists in the industry. Because when you're doing content marketing, I think, yes, ideally you would have someone who knows the industry who's writing the content. But if they're a really capable writer and they um, they interview subject matter experts and they do their own research and they have those narratives that have already been developed, they should be able to write. High quality content. Whereas in PR, if you have no idea what the media landscape is in an industry, and you've never talked to any publications or journalists in that industry, you're going to face a lot more friction in trying to get the client, you know, featured in industry publications to boost awareness. So I, that would be my one word of caution: is that um, I think that industry expertise piece is really important in, in PR.
1: Yeah, I have to say that's one thing that I've noticed, um, really noticed myself because I've I've been curious about this aspect of thing and of things. I've 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 thought quite heavily about the idea of how I could bring that expertise in because I know, like I say, I know that it is it is something that would help bring you to that sort of um, what's the term you use like the category of one kind of thing, right? Where you're you're adding you're providing that, not just the just the actual um, you know creation and, and narrative process um but yeah very much seems like an industry that is still based on you know this is literally my personal contact list of of journalists and people at media outlets that i operate off so do you have like uh how do you how does that work on a practical basis do you have a number of different contacts that you use pr contacts do you sort of have anyone in-house like how do, how does that actually work from a day-to-day
0: yeah. So the way we've always done and are continuing to do it in large part due to that need for subject matter expertise is that we bring in senior PR professionals, uh, for a client based on the industry. So we've mostly been in ad tech and Martech. So that's easy. We know lots of ad tech and Martech, um, PR veterans. Um, and then if we have a client outside of that industry, uh, we would, we wouldn't take them on and perform PR services for them if we didn't have a senior PR professional who could serve them. But you're right that it's not, of course, entirely based on relationships. There is a um, something of a science to it where if you know how to craft an interesting and differentiated story, you know what journalists care about and you reach out to them intelligently, like you can still have success. But I would absolutely say that relationships do still play a part in it. In a way that they don't when you're like, you know, doing SEO content marketing or even writing a thought leadership byline. So I do think it's really helpful to to have uh, the industry expert PR pro in the picture.
1: So how does that work then from an attribution standpoint? Because this is always a a, a tricky topic anyway, is attribution is far less simple than it should be. And with everything around privacy and and that sort of thing, I think it's actually getting harder rather than easier so but from your strategy that sort of seems extra important right because you want to be very very targeted about you know how that narrative is driving the revenue and the the qualified leads and that sort of thing do you have any insights for me or for anyone else who who might be listening about how you how you approach attribution whether you worry about it at all Um, what's kind of your your take on that
0: yeah i think that if you want to play at that strategic level you need to uh have some insight for the client into the business impact that your activities are generating or not um so one thing i'll say about this is to go back to my uh, spiel at the beginning um i'm by no means an expert in the like funnel orchestration and measurement piece of marketing um which is why you know I'm not the one doing that piece for the clients rather I'm hiring people who are experts in that but I do have some insights into um ways you might approach it so a couple thoughts I have um one is uh my colleague Adam Gelly is at the B2B marketing company he likes to talk about the impact of content in terms of um customer satisfaction and uh customer uh perspectives or sentiment um vis-a-vis the company so like measuring nps scores for example as a way of seeing like is our are we truly building brand awareness in a way that is establishing us as an authority and therefore having a material impact on how our clients view us um Like, do they view us as the best option to solve their problems? So, sentiment is, I think, one way you can go about it. PR people do share a voice, right? So, understanding in your market um, who's being heard. Um, And then, uh, another way I would say to think of it is in the relation between uh, brand and uh, demand gen. So, you can uh, think about is brand which is supposed to be establishing a foundation of trust with customers and prospects making our uh, more easily measurable marketing tactics more efficient right because if um, if you have that really strong brand if you're truly building that top of funnel awareness then when you hit people with the facebook ad or the linkedin ad they that should convert better and so you should be able to detect if you're like, if your demand gen activities remain constant and you would pour a ton of money into brand, you should hypothetically see some lift in the efficacy of the demand gen tactics.
1: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because the idea would be that people know more what they're clicking on when they click on it, like if it's an ad or, you know, a paid placement in a newsletter or something like that, rather than clicking on it to see what it's all about. And then, you know, obviously you expect a higher percentage of those people not to actually do anything with it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's a never ending marketing challenge of figuring out how do, how do you build a brand and how do you measure the impact of a brand? And there are some people with whom I would certainly disagree who they're like, we can't easily measure it. So it has no value and we should never do it. Um, But uh, to which I say, um, you know, think about consumer brands like Mercedes, or then B two B brands like uh, McKinsey or a HubSpot. Right, think about the impact of those brands on um, on those businesses. But uh, you can't, as a brand marketer, which part of content is brand marketing? Just say. We have no way of understanding the impact of this thing, you know, and that, that that's how when we when we occupy that position as brand marketers, that's how brand gets slashed when times get tough, right? And then it's like we have no nothing to stand on, so we do need ways to argue for the value of, of brand.
1: Yeah, interesting stuff. So I mean, we we've talked a lot about sort of narrative narrative building and your approach to content. I do think that, that is becoming kind of paradoxically uh more of a thing i spoke to um uh had a guy called Dozy on the podcast in in early days and he talked about like world building which i think is a similar similar concept um so you've got you know really good content marketers who are who are definitely starting to 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 push this and and talk about it. And then you've got the very other end of the spectrum where you've got people who maybe don't have the experience in the industry or are trying to do things on the absolute cheap. And you know, you've got AI, they're able to pump out that commoditized content at a, a lower cost than ever. Where do you sort of see content marketing over the next couple of years? What are you watching closely? What are you kind of excited about? Is there anything you're nervous about? Like what's your what's your crystal ball for the, the 2024, 20, 2025?
0: Well, I think the dominant structural force in our industry right now is the, um, mania for better or worse around generative AI and the way that that's going to shift the, the industry and the market. So I think generative AI is illuminating that there is a large part of the marketing services universe that is both tactical and not Particularly good, and that part of the industry uh, is going to go away right you're not going to uh, pay someone five dollars on upwork to write a blog post. you're just going to use generative AI and then maybe have someone in house take a quick look at it and brush it up so what is that going to do as I think you were implying uh, that's going to put value on specialized marketing services and on strategic marketing services so either doing what i've been talking about doing where you bring in someone who's a really sophisticated marketer to assess the client's organization and figure out how are we going to uh you know double the sales opportunities that marketing is driving because that until now is not something that uh chat gpt can tell you uh or uh, and we've tried to play in this space too, um, specialized knowledge. So if you want to write a, if you want to write a thought leadership byline for a CEO, um, especially of a larger organization, and it's about a complex topic for which you require vertical expertise, that's another area where as a freelancer agency, or even an in-house marketer, you can really separate yourself from the tactical output of generative AI. Um, because, you know, like one of my clients who's a um, VP of comms once said, you know, anyone who thinks generative AI can replace all of marketing has never dealt with a very demanding CEO, right? Because when you have these people who, you know, run organizations in the hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, they expect the people who are writing in their name to be extremely precise and articulate and to capture their voice and their knowledge in a way that um, AI and cheap freelancers alike are not going to be able to do. So my advice to, that's my view on the space and my advice to especially freelancers would be, uh, again, challenge yourself to figure out that complex and very specialized thing that you are a lead at or can become a lead at. um, focus your business on that, uh, because if you're just doing tactical, I'll write blog posts for anyone. Um, it's it's not going to be sticky in a landscape where uh, people can use very very cheap SaaS tools to do it instead.
1: Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely nothing I can I can disagree with there. It's um, been really good to to get your thoughts, Joe, and, and hear about what you guys are doing. Because I think. I think what you're doing and the way you're putting it out there is um, is different. It's not something you see. You know, the honesty and the way you lay out things on LinkedIn, especially, is uh, is really, really valuable. I think for people either on the agency side, freelancer side, or even in-house marketers, because obviously that's there. Uh, you know, they from my experience, people in that those positions are almost. Like us, they just happen to, you know, the way they think and the things that they do is very, very similar, often to to how we, we work with clients. I think there's a lot of value there uh, for them as well. So, thanks, thanks a lot for, for giving me some time today, having a chat to me. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, if they'd like to learn more and get those updates on LinkedIn, like other than LinkedIn, what uh, what's the best way for, for people to get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, the best way would be to find us at sharppenmedia.com. Um, or to go find me on LinkedIn and send me a connection request I'm always happy to chat with anyone thanks so much for having me on Jason
1: yeah not a problem at all I will um I'll put the link to to the shopping website and to your uh, to Joe's LinkedIn profile in the in the show notes as well so go check it out thanks again Joe
0: thank you